Amen. Thank you, uh, Ramakukwe. Um, it's a it's a it's a privilege uh, to to stand and uh, sing with you, saints, uh, as we raise our voice and um, plead with the Lord to speak to us even today. So um, we continue um, looking at God's word and and and. Um, um, with a desire to have God speaking to our lives and uh, with a desire also to walk in, uh, uh, in his word. Um, so let me also welcome the uh, G and, and, and Lydia. I'm afraid to, to say their surname because sometimes I, I would mispronounce it. And there's a brother there uh, with them. I don't know if, uh, what's his name? What's your name, brother? Utsile. Okay. Um, welcome to Utsile as well. Um, again, uh, happy birthday to uh, Nancy Goto. Uh, we pray that God will bless you and will keep you. Um, one, uh, uh, our brother David, I was saying last week that uh, in the month of February and March, we have a lot of people here at church who have their birthdays. We had uh, 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 Theo as well. Uh, so we, we, we have a lot of people, um, uh, who's that, uh, Obey as well, had birthdays, and there are others who are still coming, who uh, you can see that in the month of, of March and February, there was a lot of fruitfulness there. Amen. <laughs> so we continue with our series on Philippians. Uh, uh, the name of our series is Life in Christ. Uh, Life in Christ. Uh, in, in, in Philippians, and then today we're going to look at uh, Philippians uh, chapter 2, uh, reading from verses uh, 14 uh, to verse 18, and the title, the topic of today is going to be uh, a, a testifying church, a testifying church, and by a testifying church, I mean a church that is concerned with the with 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 sharing the gospel um, a church that is concerned with sharing the gospel so let us read from philippians chapter 2 verses 14 to 18 and we'll continue philippians chapter 2 verses uh, 14 to 18 i read from the esv this is god's word let us hear him do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise also should likewise you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Amen. Our dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you speak to us today, even as we sang, speak, O Lord. Speak to our lives. Transform our hearts change our minds with your word, conform our will to your will, that we may honor you with our lives. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. A testifying 
church, a, a, a testifying community. You see, the local church is a testimony to the world. It's, it's God's testimony to the world. It, it can either be uh, a good testimony or it can be a bad testimony. And, and the, the kind of testimony that we have before the world shows our attitude towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we have a bad testimony to the world, it shows that we only pay lip service to the gospel and it has no bearing on our lives and, and our conduct. We, we, we have begun to experience, we, we have not even begun to experience the transforming power that we speak so much about. When we have a, 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 a good testimony, on the other hand, we, if we are a good testimony to the world, then it reflects uh, that the gospel is really at work in our midst. That the gospel is working in our hearts as the church. It reflects the truth that we have been reconciled to God and, 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 and to each other as well. That we are a new creation in Christ, crowned with new titles of honor. Brothers and sisters, beloved, children of God, saints, disciples, children of promise, and many other titles of honor. When reading uh, uh, um, verses 14 to, to verse 18, it is clear that Paul is concerned about the testimony of the Philippian church to the world. We see this when, when he addresses how they are to relate to one another and, and, and the way they relate to one another, he says, it will affect their testimony. It will give a good testimony to the world or, or even a bad testimony depending on how they relate in their midst. And, and I want to bring you closer home here. The question then is how do we become a testifying community? How do we become a testifying community as CBC? As a community here in Rustenburg? From the text we see four personal principles to consider as a testifying community. Four personal principles to consider as a testifying community. And I will, I will go through them uh, one by one. The first principle is your attitude towards each other. Your attitude towards each other. Look at verse 14. In verse 14 he says, Do all things without grumbling or questioning. Paul here first addresses the manner in which they are to relate to one another as believers. He says, do all things without grumbling or, or questioning. And Paul's point here is very clear. Believers in the church are to serve one another for the progress and joy in the faith uh, 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 of, of, of other fellow believers. This is what we are to be concerned about. And for this to be a reality, it means availing ourselves, connecting with each other and coming alongside one another as a church family. And this would mean being inconvenienced at times. It would mean sacrificing time and resources to see the body of Christ progress in the faith. In this kind of atmosphere, uh, 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 there's always a tendency to complain or, or, or to dispute. 
And Paul wants to cut down the, the root of this tree because before, before it grows into something that destroys the unity of the body, the, the harmony of the body. So he wants to cut down this, this, this tree before it becomes strong and it's unable to be prevented in the church. So he says to them, do all things without grumbling or questioning. The word that he uses here for, for, for grumbling refers not to a, a loud, as outspoken dissatisfaction, but to that undertone murmuring, which one sometimes hears in the entrances of our present-day churches where certain groups are having it out, so to speak, among themselves. The, the word refers to the act of murmuring against man and, and not God. Uh, the, 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 word is, uh, 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 the use of this word shows that the divisions among the Philippians had not yet risen to the point of louder dissension. The word was used as well of those who confess secretly, of those who, who discontentedly complain. They would complain in, in low tones. You know that uh, uh, complaining where people don't see that you're complaining under your breath? Even, even the word Spurgeon uh, makes a, 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 an observation on the word murmur. He says murmur is a, it, 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 it's, a, it's a foolish word. It's, a, it, it's, it's not an intelligent word. Look at the word. It says it's murmur. It's, it doesn't make sense. It's, it's under the breath. Just complaining, where, where, uh, complaining about another belief. Just, just under the breath. And Paul realizes that if this continues on in their midst, it has a potential of, 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 of turning out to be something that will destroy the, the, the unity of the body of Christ, the unity of this community. So he says, do all things without grumbling. Whatever you do for the progress of the church, whatever you do for the, for the edification of believers, he says, don't do it with grumbling. And the word again, he says, don't do it with, do all things without grumbling and questioning. The word for, for questioning here can also be translated disputing, which implies a question in mind and, and suggests an arrogant attitude by those who assume they are always right arguing with one another in the body of Christ is disruptive. It disrupts the progress of the church, right? It dis disrupts the, the, the unity of the church. And that is why Paul spent the, the first half of chapter 2 on humility, calling the church to prefer others, right? To prefer one another, to look to the interest of others. He, he, he spent most of, 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 of this and then he also points to Christ, the humility of Christ. Although he was God, he did not count equality with God as something to selfishly hold on to, but he emptied himself. You see, grumbling and disputing are, are sins that expose the posture of the heart. It is the pride of wanting things to, to go your way, things to be done your way. And when, 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 when this keeps going on every time in your heart, it becomes a habit that when, whenever things don't go your way, 
they are, they, they are met by grumbling and, and they are met by a disputing heart. It even goes to a, a, a point of even disregarding God's word. Where, where God's word says we must count others more significant than ourselves. Looking not only to our own interest but to the interest of others. Uh, grumbling and disputing disregards that. It says God's word does not matter. It says I matter more. It says, my will be done. It is not concerned with the will of God. It is concerned with the will of self. To say, if things are not going my way, then they shouldn't be going any other way. So he calls them first to look at their attitude to one another. Secondly, Paul calls them to to look at, uh, he says, your example to the world. Your example to the world. To the world. This is the, 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 the second uh, personal principle that we are to consider. Your example to the world. Look at verse uh, 15. Verse 15 of chapter 2. He says this, uh, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Ho- uh, yes, verse 15. Now, Paul's point here in verse 15 is that your attitudes toward uh, your attitude towards each other will determine your effectiveness in the world. Imagine here with me for, for a minute. If, if the world were to look at the church and all they saw were grumbling people that are always at each other's necks. Would they see Christ whom we say is our peace? We say Christ is our peace. Would they see that? Will they see uh, um, th- that hostility that was killed through, the, through his cross when he reconciled us to God? Will, will they see a new body? Will they see a new people redeemed for God? Or are they going to see just a glorified version of the world? Are they going to see people that mirror the world rather than mirror God himself? What are they going to see when they look at the body of Christ? Are they going to see a testimony about our God? Paul says, if your attitude towards one another is Christ-honoring, this will be the result. He says, that you may be blameless and innocent. This is in relation with the world. To, to be blameless is to live in such a way that, that, that people cannot point a finger of criticism and accuse a Christian of violating the principles that he claims to believe in. And the word again, innocent, expresses, the, expresses what the Christian is in himself. It, it literally means unmixed. It, 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 has, it has a sense of being unadulterated. It is used, for instance, of, of wine or, 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 or milk, which is not mixed with water, and of metal, which, is not, uh, which has no alloy in it. So when Paul talks about innocence, he is, is talking about uh, 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 that when, 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 when we use this word uh, of people, it implies that our motives are not mixed that Christian purity must issue in a complete sincerity of thought and character. So he says, when the world looks at us, that we may be blameless and innocent. 
So, so blameless is our outward conduct. Innocent is our inward posture, the, the, the posture of our heart. He goes on to say, as he continues, he says uh, that we may be children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. As children of God, we are to mirror the holiness of God to the world. We are to be a church that walks in the fear of the Lord. And that is what Paul says when he says, without blemish in the, in the, in the, in the midst of a crooked and, and twisted generation. I love what uh, William Buckley says here. He explains the word blemish. This is what he says. He says, the, the, the word blemish describes what the Christian is in the sight of God. Uh, this word is especially used in connection with sacrifices that are fit to be offered on the altar of God. The, the Christian life must be such that it cannot, it, 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 the Christian life must be such that it can be offered like an unblemished sacrifice to God. And Paul says, in the midst of this crooked and perverse or twisted generation, you shine as lights. In the world. You, you shine as lights in the world. Such a beautiful description of, of what the presence of Christians in this world must be like. My, my wife and I like watching the stars. And, and one of the things that is interesting uh, about stars is that um, when stars shine, they, they shine forth not, as, not just as individuals, but as clusters. And when, when they are out in their billions and, and you're looking at the, the sky, covering the sky like an expensive carpet, shining the glory of God, that's where you see their beauty. You see their beauty when they are shining in clusters. And, and I, when, when I look at the stars, I am more interested in, 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 in bodies of stars than in single stars. The truth is vital. This truth is very vital to Paul's illustration. It, it also correlates with, with his emphasis on, on love and unity in the body of Christ in the pre, pre, previous paragraphs, especially chapter 1, verse 27 and, and 28, and, and chapter 2, verse 2 and 4. As we look at the, the dark sky each night and we see the shining clusters of, of stars, all beautifully and intricately Placed in the universe by, by God Himself, so every so so, so, so the non-Christian world should also be able to look at local bodies of Christians and see the oneness and beauty of Christ, reflecting the message that God was reconciling the world to Himself through Christ. They, they must see that when they look at us; they must see us shining like stars. Paul says, "We are we are we are lights." In this, in this crooked and perverse generation. When, when, when the world looks at the church, they must see the work of God, the progressive work of God, the, 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 the transforming power of the gospel, the fact that God has reconciled us to himself through Christ. That's what they must see. And there are two kinds of Christians when you think about it. There are those who whine and there are those who shine. And my question is, are you a shining Christian? 
Or are you a whining Christian? Does your, uh, are you seeking to let your light shine in such a way that it opens up avenues for, for the gospel with unbelievers? Or are you living in such a way that it hinders the progress of the gospel? Because when they look at you and they, they, they hear uh, uh, your thoughts about other believers and, and your complaints and, and your disputing spirit, will they be interested in that? There'll be no interest in that. Our testimony to the world can either create avenues to share the gospel or it can create hindrance in sharing the gospel. There's no other way around it. So Paul first looks at, he says, your attitude towards each other will influence your example to the world. And thirdly, your hope for eternity. Your hope for eternity. Look at verse uh, 16. <clears throat> he says, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. One of the things that, uh, about living as lights in the world, in a, in a crooked and, and perverse or twisted generation, is that at times it raises the interests of the world with regards to living a life that is opposed to what is considered the norm in the world. When you are there in the world, living a counter-cultural lifestyle, a lifestyle that is not conformed to the patterns of this world, what God does in the hearts of people sometimes is that it raises their interest as to that kind of life. It, 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 it raises questions in their minds, and they want to know, why are you the way you are? Why are you living the way you are? And there are two, kinds of, there are two things that happen when that is the case. It's either you will be hated and, and reviled for the life that you are living, or it will create interest to hear the gospel. Peter says to the Christians that they are to be always prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Always prepared to make a defense because people are asking for the hope that is in you. Paul says our presence in the world must be marked by holding fast to the word of life. The, the expression holding fast has, has two uh, meanings which are both implied in this text. It means holding by it and holding it out. Are we, are, we, are we getting that? Holding by it, standing firm on the word, and also holding it out. Let me explain that uh, a bit. It, it, it is the word of life that we hold by, and it's the word of life that we hold out. We, we, we live by the word of God, right? The word of, all scripture is breathed out by God and is sufficient or, or profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, right? We live by the scriptures. In the scriptures, we know who God is. 
We, we know what God has done for us through Christ Jesus. We know the hope that God um, has given us in Christ. The, the hope of, of, of being with him, of seeing him face to face. That is our hope and that is in the scriptures. In the scriptures we hear the gospel that continues to progressively sanctify us as we spoke last week. But not only that, as we hold by these scriptures, we don't only hold by them, but we hold them out. We hold them out to people. We are like uh, uh, people who, who are the only ones who have candles in a dark world. Right? We're holding out candles and showing people the light. We, we're showing people the way, the truth, and the life. We're showing them that it is in Christ Jesus that one has life. And, and sometimes our attitude towards God's word can also be a testimony to the world. If, if we are not taking God's word seriously, the world will see that we're not taking God seriously. Right? James Drepper makes a point here. He says, We often think that some Christians do not witness, but they do all witness. The trouble is, some give the wrong kind of witness. They, they give a witness that says, God is insignificant and unimportant in my life. God's salvation is worked out through us. We will offer, we will offer the word of life to those around us. Um, he says, will we offer the word of life to those around us expecting them to take it? Will we do that? My, my presence in the world as a Christian, your presence in the world as a Christian is to hold by the word of life, to, to walk in the scriptures, to walk um, according to as God revealed. But not only that, right? It is not inward looking alone, it's also outward looking. That, that is why the church must be concerned about the Great Commission, right? Because in the Great Commission, we shine God's light out in the world. And we say, this is the way. That is why we must be concerned. Paul goes on to express the purpose of their walk by holding fast and holding forth the word of life. He says, so that in the day of Christ... I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul is thinking about this and saying, you know what, I've preached the gospel to you. I, I told you about Christ, who is our hope. I, I told you uh, the gospel day after day. This is where your hope for eternity lies. He says, in the day of Christ, you see that it, it has a sense of eternity. Because he's looking at what? The day of Christ, right? When we will stand before Christ. Uh, as we hoping in it, uh, our hope for eternity is that when we stand before Christ, he will receive us, right? So Paul is saying, in that day, I may, I may he says, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So, really, we need to think about it. What is our hope? Are we, are we those who are saying, Lord, Lord? 
but are not doing what he says? Are we, are we those who are going to uh, come with open arms and he says to us, depart from me, I never knew you? Those who are self-deceived into thinking that we are saved, but we are walking in the ways of this world. We are, we are reflecting the world more than we are reflecting God. Paul says, in the day of Christ, I, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or, or labor in vain. I may see you as those who are received before God. Your hope for eternity. So he says, these are principles that you need to consider as a testifying church as a testifying community. First, you need to consider your attitude towards one another. Consider your example to the world. Consider your hope for eternity. Then lastly, he says, your joy in difficulty. Your joy in difficulty. Look at verse 17 and uh, 18. He says, even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice, the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me also. In the first part of uh, verse 17, Paul uses an Old Testament image in order to intensify or, or emphasize the necessity of the church being a testifying community. In a language that, is pr that, that probably suggests his death, he describes himself as a drink offering that may be poured out. See, drink offerings were, were a common feature in the sacrificial systems of many ancient cultures. And often the offering was, was poured out over um, a sacrifice. And with this imagery, Paul has in mind the custom described in, in passages such as Numbers chapter 15 verses 1 to, to 11, where drink offerings are, are made in addition to other offerings. And Paul's view, uh, so Paul views the Philippians here, um, their, their continued uh, obedience and, and steadfastness amid persecution as an offering to God equivalent to the offering of his own apostolic labors. So, so that as they labor, they may labor even to the end, even in, 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 in death. But interestingly here, instead of Paul complaining about the fact that he might die for the faith. We find him saying this in the midst of this. He says, I am glad and rejoice with you all. In the midst of, 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 of what he was going through, he, he, he writes this, remember, as, as we have spoken in, in the previous uh, sermons, that, that he writes from a filthy Roman dungeon, a Roman prison as he writes this, and, and there's a possibility that he might be executed for his faith. And Paul still is a joyous man. And, and he says, I'm glad and, and rejoice with you all. And also calling the Philippians, saying to them, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. He's calling them to mutual joy. He's calling the people that are being persecuted, that are being killed, that are people that are grieving and are, are, are to be glad and rejoice with him. Their joy, their joy in difficulty is a testimony as well to a watching world. Right? I think that's, it's an idea that we, we, we never have in our minds. Um, 
concerning uh, grief, that, that Christians that are, all, that, that are grieving are also still witnessing Christians, still testifying Christians. Even, in our, even the way we grieve is a testimony to the world, right? It's a testimony to the world. When, when tragedy befalls uh, uh, a Christian, they are still in the midst of responding to that tragedy, still witnessing to the world. You see, tragedy befalls the believer and the unbeliever. But the difference is in the manner in which they grieve. The unbeliever does not have God to lean on and, and find comfort in. And therefore, most of the time, they are weighed down by, 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 by such hopelessness as if it was the end of the world, as if there was nothing else they could have hope in. On the other hand, a, a believer grieves. And yes, they do grieve. A, a believer grieves, but they grieve with hope in their hearts. Like Paul says, they, 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 they grieve in, in the words of Paul when he says, I know whom I have believed. And, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard until, the day, uh, until that day what has been entrusted to me. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse, verse 12. And, and they also cry with Job who was in pain after suffering such a terrible loss. And, and his body was decaying day after day. But at the end of the day, in Job chapter 19, verse 25, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last he shall stand upon the earth. And again they say with the psalmist, as for me, the nearness of God is my good. It is good for me to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Do you, do you hear what the psalmist is saying? Even in difficulty, even in, in, in the moment of difficulty and pain, he wants to still tell of the works of the Lord. He says, for me, the nearness of God is my good. And think about it. These people that were writing were not writing theoretically. They were writing from what they experienced. Whatever they were saying, it was because of all that they have experienced. In the midst of their griefs, in the midst of their losses, in the midst of their pain, they were still testifying of the goodness and the works of the Lord. This is where our joy is. It is not in favorable circumstances or in a smooth life, but in the reality, in the fact that God is with me and he will be with me to the end. And when the world looks at you in confusion and curiosity, and why so much hope? Why so much peace in the, mess, in the midst of such tragedy, in the midst of such pain, in the midst of such uh, a trial? Why so much hope and peace? Then your mouth will open and says, Mamelang listen as I tell you and point you to the way. I was dead in my sins and trespasses without hope in the world, running to my death with no fear of God in my heart. 
But I heard the gospel. Oh, I heard the good news saying Jesus died for my sins. And that became the remedy that delivered my weary and lost soul. Today I am delivered. I am a child of God. I believed and I am joyful. I have no worries or regrets. Jesus is my savior. He chose life for me. I love him because he first loved me. He gave me life. He gave me life. When the world looks at you in that pain, that is your testimony to the world. That is how we testify as a church. The way we relate to one another. Our example to the world, our, our hope for eternity and our joy and difficulty. Amen. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. We pray that you impress it upon our hearts. That you stamp it on our consciences. So that we can walk in it. Help us by the Holy Spirit. In your grace. In Jesus name. Amen.